The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. An abusive partner go in and out of mentalizing and non-mentalizing states of mind. And when we are not mentalizing, then it's when we are projecting onto the other what we think it's ours but we can't quite deal with. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Maya Kay. Dr. Maya Kay is a psychotherapist, researcher, author and professor. She's a neuroscience-informed, compassion-focused psychotherapist and she combines a variety of psychodynamic and mind-body modalities that promote mind, brain and body regulation. She works with emerging adults, college and graduate students experiencing anxiety, depression, trauma, relationship issues and difficulties adjusting to life stressors. Today's episode is all about protecting yourself from the four manipulation tactics used by people with narcissistic traits. We will be going through four common tactics that individuals with narcissistic traits use to control and manipulate others. But don't worry, we won't leave you hanging. Dr. Maya Kay will also be sharing practical tips and strategies for protecting yourself against these tactics so you can stay in control of your own life. So, if you want to learn how to defend yourself against these four manipulation tactics, then you won't want to miss this episode. Hi, Dr. Maya Kay. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Thank you so much for having me here. Great. So, let's get started right away with these questions. And the question number one is... The phrase just enough refers to a manipulation tactic that occurs when someone finally does a small part of what you asked them to do just before you were going to enforce a consequence. For example, you ask your abusive spouse to stop seeing an extramarital love interest and just before you file for divorce, they agree to stop sleeping with them, but they continue to flirt with them. How can someone protect themselves from this type of manipulation? Um, so I think that before you know we go into the self-protection um, ways that somebody could be doing it would be interesting to assess um, or become aware um, of safety issues right so I think that first and foremost are we safe right in the relationship so if somebody is not feeling safe physically can we uh, start seeking that safety do we have enough supports in place do we have systems available that we can have access to services. Um, if safety, if, if physical safety is not a concern, I think that it would be interesting to think about boundaries and 
to start becoming curious about the partner who just did just the enough thing for the for the relationship not to end, right? And perhaps having a conversation with that partner, if the partner is open to it, hey, I noticed that um, you are decided not to see that person anymore, but are you still talking to them or flirting with them? I'm curious to know, right? Approaching it from a curiosity perspective, I'm curious to know, I was wondering how you feel about that. Can we start opening up a dialogue? And is there a possibility for opening up a dialogue? And depending on how the other person will respond to that, right, then um, then we would think about ways to go about it. So is this that you are still planning on seeing this other person? Or what is our relationship uh, for you? What's the, the value that our relationship has for you? So opening up a window of dialogue through curiosity. If the emotions are regulated enough, in that relationship, then um, it would be much more easy for the person to open up a window for dialogue. So if I'm safe physically, can I regulate my emotions? Can I count with a few friends? Or if I don't have them, can I do some self-regulatory exercises? And then can I go back to the partner and start becoming curious about what's in in the partner's mind that keeps them uh, still floating or seeing the other person somehow mm, mm, yeah thank you thank you so much for that for that advice yeah I'm, I'm just thinking like uh you know all the possible ways like you said that it really depends on how the partner then is responding like mm -hmm. what would you say let's imagine that this person is then the one who was sleeping with someone else responds with saying something like oh so now you are like you want me to cut off like all contact like you just seem jealous and insecure mm -hmm. but isn't that I'm just like asking isn't it a you know fair request to ask please do not flirt with flirt with this person do not talk to them because you just you know violated our relationship by sleeping with them so can you give some advice if someone receives a response that well why are you now trying to control all my you know relationships and you seem are you like insecure and jealous mm -hmm. so so do you see how that is a very typical non-mentalizing response right what does non-mentalizing mean uh, it's a not in a non-mentalizing stance the person is actually so defensive that they can't make meaning of what the partner just asked, right? Um. Or what the partner just was curious about. Hey, I was curious about what, what does it mean to still be seeing that person? And if the response is non-openness, right? So I'm not open to that. You just want to control my relationships. You just want to control me, right? You're jealous. 
Well, that's a moment if the other can slow down, right? If the partner who is asking very in a very fair way to, hey, please cut all contacts, right? I don't want you talking to that person. If that partner who is requesting uh, is able to slow down and say, well, it sounds like you are very frustrated right now, right? And can I be curious about that? According to APA Dictionary of Psychology, mentalization refers to the ability to understand one's own and others' mental states, thereby comprehending one's own and others' intentions and effects. It involves being able to reflect on one's own mental states and to understand that other people have mental states that are separate from one's own. For example, let's say that you are at a social gathering with a friend and your friend appears upset and withdrawn. If you immediately assume that your friend is upset with you or disinterested in the event, you would be engaging in poor mentalization. By engaging in poor mentalization, you are not considering other factors that might be affecting your friend's behavior. This can lead to misunderstandings and conflicts that could have been avoided if you had used mentalization to consider alternative explanations for your friend's behavior. So instead of jumping to conclusions, you could think, My friend seems upset. Maybe they are going through something difficult at work or in their personal life. Maybe they are feeling anxious in this social situation. By using mentalization in this way, you are able to consider alternative explanations for your friend's behavior beyond your own assumptions or feelings of insecurity. This allows you to respond in a more empathic and supportive way, such as checking in with your friend to see how they are doing and offering to listen if they need to talk. In the context of abusive and narcissistic relationships, a person who is experiencing narcissistic abuse might be engaging in good or poor mentalization. An example of poor mentalization in a context of narcissistic abuse could be that despite the abuse, the person makes excuses for the abusive person's behavior and blames themselves for the abuse. For example, the person may think, I must have done something wrong to provoke the abuse. If I just change my behavior, they will stop being abusive. Or they may believe that the abusive person's abuse is a reflection of their own worth and that they are not deserving of love or respect. By engaging in poor mentalization, the person is not able to see the abuse for what it is and is not considering alternative perspectives. Instead, they are internalizing the blame for the abuse and not recognizing that the abusive person's behavior is not their fault. Engaging in poor mentalization in the context of narcissistic abuse is not uncommon as the abusive person uses tactics such as gaslighting and manipulation to distort their target's perceptions and undermine their sense of reality. An example of good mentalization in the context of narcissistic abuse would be that despite the abuse, the person who is experiencing narcissistic abuse begins to recognize that the abusive person's behavior is not acceptable and seeks help and support. To engage in good mentalization in this context, the person needs to challenge their assumptions and consider alternative perspectives. For example, they might think, their behavior is not my fault, it's not okay for them to treat me this way and I deserve to be treated with respect 
and kindness. By using good mentalization, the person is able to recognize that the abuse is not their fault and that the abusive person's behavior is not acceptable. This helps them to begin to set boundaries, detach from the abusive relationship and seek support and healing. Engaging in good mentalization in the context of narcissistic abuse is a difficult process and it can take time to fully recognize the abuse and its effects. Lastly, individuals with narcissistic traits themselves engage in poor mentalization when interacting with other people. Here's an example. Let's say that the narcissistic partner is upset because their partner has expressed a need for more emotional support in the relationship. Instead of recognizing their partner's needs and working to address them, the narcissistic partner becomes defensive and lashes out with emotional abuse. By engaging in poor mentalization, the narcissistic partner is not able to see their partner's perspective or consider alternative perspectives. They might think, my partner is being overly sensitive and needy. They are always demanding more from me and don't appreciate all that I do for them. The narcissistic partner is not able to recognize that their partner's request for emotional support is reasonable and that their behavior is contributing to the problems in the relationship. Instead, they are relying on their own distorted perspective and blaming their partner for their own negative emotions. This leads to a cycle of emotional abuse where the narcissistic partner continues to criticize and belittle their partner while refusing to take responsibility for their own actions. It also leads to feelings of confusion and self-doubt on the part of the other partner who may begin to question their own needs and desires in the relationship. Poor mentalization on the part of the narcissistic partner contributes to a toxic dynamic in the relationship where the needs and feelings of the other person are ignored or dismissed. Now, I wonder, you know, how it goes for people when they try to do it. And in my patients' accounts, um, normally we'll have cases that the other partner will give some space for, for reflection. And in some cases, no, they won't reflect whatsoever. And then um, the one who is making the request uh, for, hey, just enough, it's not enough, right? Um, we'll have to eventually come to a decision of, okay, so does this mean that our relationship is not available, right? So I think that if everything is conducive to reflectiveness, it could be a good idea to go into that realm. If the partner is resistant and not mentalizing whatsoever, which is that the example of the response you just gave, then it would be interesting to slow down that conversation and perhaps um, think about other alternatives in terms of, of boundaries for that relationship. Mm, okay, thank you so much. That's uh, your last sentence especially was interesting think about other boundaries for that relationships can you give some examples well uh, a boundary could be established in the sense of okay if things don't change 
then we'll have to rethink our relationship. If you can't stop seeing that person or talking to that person or flirting, then we have to re start um, rethinking about the direction of our relationship. Or would you be open to talk about this in a couple's counseling session? Would you be open to talk about this without the resistance? I think these are some boundaries that could be put in place in case that person is very stuck in that um, uh, shady mode, right, of living. Like, I'm living life with you, but then I'm also flirting with somebody else, and yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, then we have the second question is blaming is when someone accuses you of doing something or telling you that it is all your fault for an issue or concern that exists. For example, the abusive person in your life gets fired from their job and blames you by saying you did this to me. It's all your fault. How can someone protect themselves from this type of behavior? So if that was a case example, right? You did this to me, that's all your fault. How could we answer in a way that's mentalizing, that's making meaning of that? A good way perhaps to go about it would be, hmm, I wonder why it's all my fault. I wonder why what's going on here that this is all my fault was i there at work i wonder why this is all my fault and perhaps after that depending on the response normally we'll have some pretty resistant uh, uh, responses going into making a statement of like I'm not quite sure this is my fault and I don't think it is right how could we move about this and perhaps waiting for the other two to say hey I don't know why I thought it was your fault or maybe I continue to think it is your fault and I'll tell you why this that and the other I think sometimes uh, um, an abusive partner go in and out of mentalizing and non-mentalizing states of mind. And when we are not mentalizing, then it's when we are basically throwing on the other or projecting onto the other what we think it's ours, but we can't quite deal with. So if the other partner wants to work on the relationship, or if the other partner wants to learn how to handle this type of situation, a good uh, starting point would be, okay, I can see my partner is not mentalizing right now. I can see they are pretty angry and they are saying it's all my fault and these are pretty strong either or statements right? 
when they are having these types of either or statements, can I slow down the interaction? Can I become curious? Why? I wonder why you may be saying this. I wonder why this would be my fault if I wasn't even there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Makes makes sense. And I really think that you explaining the mentalization and non-mentalization really clarifies, you know, the type of interactions that people have with each other. Thank, thank you for that. I was thinking, let's say that you are dealing with a partner who, abusive partner who is most of the time uh, not mentalizing. So not like, you know, they're just throwing their stuff at you and you know you you have been you kind of start to notice like you know that they are now blaming you for something that you absolutely had no part in even though they might try to find some convincing ways to say it for example you know the relationship with you has been so stressful so I haven't been performing well at work so that's why I got fired so it's your fault um, let's say that you have been you have tried you know being curious about like hey how is this my fault and then you get an answer like that back and you get curious again and you know you continue the dialogue you slow down the dialogue and then you can just see that it's kind of not going anywhere are there some kind of can you you know offer some kind of alternative you know mindset that people can hold on to that might might only involve within themselves that they can do to ease you know, sometimes you might actually like feel like, oh, is this my fault, really? Or you might feel like bad, bad about the situation because it's emotionally draining. It's in other ways, it's training, training to go through these back and forth, these conversations. So what advice do you have that what can you do within yourself in situations like this? Right, that's such a great question. And I think it's so important for us to be able to go within in self-compassion so if everything i'm trying to do i'm trying to mentalize myself and i'm trying to introduce and slow down mentalization for my partner and these things are not going anywhere because well if we are talking about uh, personality disorder or personality disorder traits it's likely that without the help of a professional, it's, the conversations may get stuck, right? So how can I ground within myself? How can I anchor within myself? So, and we'll go back to mentalizing self, very important. So am I really the one to be blamed for? I asked myself. Can I ask that in curiosity? Can I ask that in, in a state of kindness and self-compassion? Because yes, we may feel furious, we may feel frustrated, drained, depressed. Right? Uh, patients come to me saying that they don't know what else to do and where else to go. Um, so grounding in your own self with the idea that, well, if I go through my thoughts and I see that, well, the marriage has been stressful for both of us, 
can both of us take responsibility, right? It's not, it's not that I'm faulting myself or I'm faulting the partner. Things are happening in the marriage and we don't know quite, the reasons could be many. It could be past trauma for both parts. It could be attachment styles for both parts, right? None of that is nobody's fault, yet it's both responsibilities. So can we both take responsibility for this? And when it's putting only on one partner, that one partner stresses me out so much that I go to work, I can't cope at work, and then I'm fired, well, that's not taking responsibility, right? So perhaps for the one who's being blamed all the time, anchoring the thought that, well, both of us must take responsibility. And I know I'm taking responsibility because I'm bringing um, dialogue to the partner and the partner is not receiving it well for whatever reason. So I maybe because the partner is avoidant in attachment style, maybe because the partner can't really mentalize. It's so rigid in, in their thinking, right? So if I'm doing my part, that means I'm taking responsibility. And that means it's not all my fault. Can I use these and anchor myself in those thoughts? And can I actually start developing some self-compassion with that? And, and self-compassion would be, well, I'm anchoring myself in mutual uh, responsibility, accountability. And then I'm anchoring myself in common humanity. Yes, I'm going through this. And yes, unfortunately, there are so, so many people who go through this. Um, can I seek support in that? Even in the mere thought that many of us, right, unfortunately, may go through a situation like that. And the idea that I will try to do something to be helpful to myself, whatever that means. Can I take an action and be helpful to myself? That's the definition of compassion. I'm sensitive to my suffering. I see where I am in pain. And I do something to help myself navigate that situation. Being in it, seeking advice with friends or seeking support from a psychotherapist or reading a self-help book or taking some space in nature, grounding self, um, whatever may resonate with the person until it's time for them to make a decision about that relationship. Mm, thank you so much. That was a very helpful answer. Um, then we have... Public humiliation, also known as public shaming, is when someone shares embarrassing, shameful, revealing or personal information or stories about you in front of other people. For example, the abusive person in your life brings up your mental illness in front of people who never even knew about it. 
How can someone someone protect themselves when they are experiencing public humiliation? So that's quite a difficult situation, right? So you are with your partner, you are, let's say, talking to some friends or in a party and all of a sudden the partner starts to kind of just speak about you to others. And perhaps there is, you know, there is information that's sensitive to you. Or perhaps the partner starts speaking about the relationship and how bad it is. I think that if that's happening and you are there, right, would be interesting to, again, perhaps go into some curiosity. If you feel too triggered, leaving the situation and breathing for a moment, trying to regulate the emotions. Can I take some distance while this is happening? Um, if you are not feeling too triggered and you are in the middle of the conversation and the partner is still speaking, perhaps approaching it from the point of view, hey, I wonder why you're sharing this. I wonder why so-and-so needs to know about it, right? Well, that would be if we are very calm, right? Mm -hmm. If we are not feeling triggered whatsoever, if things are at the point of like, huh, can I confront the person right here, right now in a nice, polite way, That perhaps would... um, kind of diffuse um, or derail the sharing because the person, the guest or the friend, whoever is listening to that would start to feel quite confused and maybe a bit awkward. But if, if you feel triggered, take some distance. I think that would be the best way to go. Going to a place where you can get some fresh air, or a bathroom when you can wash your hands in cold water, take some deep breaths in and out. Perhaps leaving the place and going home and then addressing it at home when things are um, calmer for you and for the person. Mm. Okay, this raised a few follow-up questions for me mm-hmm. because when I read this question, like I feel like for many, the natural response, well, like I can't say for everyone, but like what came to my mind was like that we might want to say like, hey, stop, don't mm-hmm. don't say that. Is there a reason why you first said that start with, again, the curiosity, curiosity by asking mm-hmm. them that, why are you sharing this? Is there a reason why you chose that over the yeah. my example? And can you explain why? Sure. Well, the first, the first thing we may feel like doing it because we are angry, perhaps, perhaps we're angry, perhaps we are feeling frustrated that that person is revealing these intimate details about us. So the first thing that would come to us is non-mentalizing, survival mode, let's fight it. 
hey, stop, what, why are you doing this? And then, and then we are giving that person the reaction that they are looking for. So if we go into a non-mentalizing mode, and that's why I said, if you're feeling triggered, go take a couple of deep breaths in and out, or wash your hands in cold water, try to emotionally regulate first and then approach the partner from a sense of curiosity in the idea that well if i do this it's going to throw them off emotionally because they are expecting a reaction that's angering and that's um frustrated so that they then would turn that against me right so if i give if i give a reaction like that out of nowhere because they are sharing something that could be easily turned against me but if i approach them from a place hey i wonder what's the relevance of this for this conversation that's an interesting question to open up dialogue which will make the partner a bit um well will perhaps put them in um, in a reflection mode and if it doesn't it will at least throw them emotionally off they won't know what to say and the other person who is listening the sharing will be like oh right yes why are we talking about this mm, yeah that's that's really important i think because it puts the focus on the person who is without your permission telling stuff that you don't want to be shared it's like you are throwing the you know hot potato to them like oh explain yourself mm-hmm. and there there definitely are ways that they could you know turn it against you let's say you they have said that i don't know like you have some an- an- anger management issues and then you mm-hmm. respond in an angry way then they're like see this is what i'm dealing with <laughs> you know yes absolutely yes so many things could happen then you also mentioned that like okay then when you do come home from this public place let's be a party or whatever the um, you know meeting where you were with your with the partner and then you come home and what would you advise how to then you know deal with this situation that just happened earlier I, I would go back to uh, mentalizing again, right? If the partner comes home and they are they're not intoxicated, right? they are good to talk, well, then that's a good opportunity to approach it. Hey, I, you know, that situation at the party, you just said that this and the other, it made me feel uncomfortable. I, I wonder why that was relevant for you to share. Um, now if the partner is intoxicated, it's late at night, I I think that uh, waiting until both parties can actually talk about it in a way that's um, mentalizing, uh, it's a very good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what came to my mind? it's it's kind of 
this idea applies to all these questions that we have been talking about is that mm-hmm. when you often talk about like opening the dialogue dialogue and you know mentalizing and having these uh, conversations with the person who is you know either crossing your boundaries or uh, you know engaging in a harmful behavior is that it's it's like it's important to have these conversations because then when you do ask questions from them and they give you answers the um depending on the type of answers that they are giving you that is also all information for you that you can later use to you know think about your relationship it's all in if you keep getting information and the type of responses from the person in your life that uh, you know indicate that they do not care about you they do not respect you they do not think that anything is wrong is wrong in you know uh, in their behavior all that is information that maybe helps you you know uh, get to a point where you seriously consider the future of your relationship faster compared to a situation that you just take it all in you don't ask you become passive and you know things just then it just keeps happening happening and happening right so leaving the cycle of of uh, toxicity right requires um, us to be able to regulate emotions and once we are able to regulate emotions then we are able to start mentalizing making meaning of ourselves of the partner in the environment and the relationship and as you said the this is all information that will help you um make that decision later on right um and get to a point in which decision making is actually possible because now in a mentalizing stance well then i have things more clearly defined in front of me Mm-hmm. yeah great uh then let's move on and we have here shooting is a guilt tripping manipulation tactic that occurs when someone tells you that you should have done something in the past or you should do something in the future for example imagine that the abusive person in your life said you should have known better than to tell my parents that or you should spend more time with us. How can someone protect themselves from guilt tripping tactics like this? Should I? <laughs> I think that starting by, you know, this very like, should I really? How can, how, how should I be doing all of this? Right? What are we doing together? what have we been doing together so i think that bringing it from self taking it away from self and bringing it to the relationship as an entity would be perhaps an interesting way of of mentalizing shooting so if um if the person is pointing the finger right to me all the time hmm and I start pointing the finger back, that's not going to go anywhere. 
oh, you should do this. Oh, but you should do that. And then nobody's going anywhere. The relationship will keep in that psychical um, rhythm of toxicity. And I think that the idea of, hmm, should I be doing all of that? So again, curiosity. And what have we both been doing for the relationship? Or what is the relationship like? Can we both see the relationship as this entity, this almost this third energy? So there's you, there's me, and then there's the relationship. Because I think things get so blurry when um, there are relationship issues or are abusive um, relationships. Um, it tends to be blurry in non-abusive relationships that have like conflicts. And I think that when there is emotional abuse, it gets even more blurried. And the idea is, can we separate things here? Can we look at the relationship instead of me or you? And because we make the relationship happen, right? What are we doing or not doing for that to happen? That would be if, okay, the person is trying to open up dialogue with the partner or even to anchor themselves. Like, oh, so it's not about me or the partner. It's about the relationship and what both of us are working towards. Um, and are we doing something to help the relationship, you know, flourish? Mm, thank you. Um... Yeah, that made me think uh, when you mentioned the, in a way that there's three, you know, parts, you, the other person, and then the relationship. And then we have these ideas that, well, we both should be doing things for the relationship. But then there are people who, for some reasons, kind of they tend to make the relationship dynamic in a way that they do not have to do much mm -hmm. and then the other person takes the role of doing a lot and it can happen for many reasons uh so I i'm just thinking like uh how do you deal with a situation like this that y it's been going on in a way that you have been taking the blame for quite some time you have been you have believed these should uh, statements that I should have done that in the pre uh, in the past and now I should do something in the present or in the future so you have been kind of because you have been either unaware or you felt like you deserved it or whatever reasons you have been like kind of uh, quote-unquote letting like the other person you know um, do that how do you start to shift this like because I feel like it's sometimes it's very hard to try to sh shift uh, this dynamic anymore because the other person first of all they're like well why 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 there is change like they are sensing like okay this person they are now standing up for themselves they are like demanding more you know equal uh, you know that equal effort to the relationship so it it can it can like create resistance from from that <laughs> yeah their part so I'm just you know asking some guidance in this kind of situation absolutely I think that's 
that actually make or break it. <laughs> so every time, and, and I find it interesting um, with clinical populations, um, most of the times we, clinical population will go into therapy, right? And things will start shifting in us. And then uh, we are a system in ourselves. So think of yourself as a system and then the partner is a system and the kids are systems and then the family is a family system, right? And if there's change in one system, there will be a reaction or a response in the other systems which can be quite tricky because it could be a great way of shifting things and changing it up. And it, or it could be a way of leading to the resolution in terms of uh, ending the relationship. You're right, it, will, it probably will generate a lot of resistance. And so for some people, I think that there could be the idea of, can I roll with that resistance for a while and continue to try to implement the shift in dynamics, in power dynamics or in doing dynamics, right? And if I'm doing that, am I doing that alone? Am I doing that with the help of a psychotherapist or a group support, right? Um, am I having... Um, uh, parents, friends, or support groups in place for me. What is out there for me to continue to implement these changes? Stand up for myself, uh, set up those strong boundaries. Yes, the other partner will be probably resistant. And how far you are going to continue to roll with the resistance will be kind of I don't even I don't even want to say determined but maybe determined by what the other partner to what extent the other partner is resisting and the efforts there will be a point in which both or either of the the partners will have to start thinking about something about the relationship in terms of um, moving forward, either couples therapy, how are we going to break that resistance? Yes, it tends to, because it's not balanced anymore, right? So the dynamic of doing too little versus doing too much was what brought homeostasis for that system. Once the other partner starts saying, no, it's enough, I'm not doing all that much. We, we have to look at the relationship and see what both of us are doing. Well, then the balance is disrupted and some reaction will be seen from the, the partner for sure. Mm, mm, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, today we had some great questions and great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Maya Kay, for coming to this episode, answering all these questions and giving such great advice. Thank you so much for having me here. It was a pleasure.
If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.